following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning is a continuation of a sermon series entitled Living in the Vine. Based upon our previous sermons in the series that are available through our, our website. The series is based upon Jesus' teaching where he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. A teaching which points to the promise that we will find fullness of life when we are connected to Christ. Today's sermon is entitled, What We Will Be. That title comes from a scripture verse in the first letter of John, which says, Beloved, now we are God's children. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When Christ appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Let us be in prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. One of the very notable features of the human story is that since the most ancient times, every culture on the planet has had a belief in an afterlife. This is reflected in ancient burial traditions in which people are in some sense prepared for the next life. In many places, various items were buried with the deceased, even something as large as a chariot so that those items could in some way be available to those in the afterlife. Mummification was used in various places, in cultures from Egypt to Peru, and there were extensive accompanying rituals. Why is it that people in completely disconnected cultures all around the world throughout the millennia have all believed that there is life beyond death? It is as though there is implanted within the human mind a basic intuition that we are intended for an eternal destiny. The Bible affirms this reality. As it is said in the book of Ecclesiastes, God has set eternity in the human heart. At the same time, when it comes to specific ideas about eternity, people have been all over the place. Some people like the idea of ghosts, that the spirits of the departed continue to float around in this world. Some like the idea of reincarnation, that you get recycled back into this world to have another go at life on earth. Many people have believed in some kind of paradise for the righteous beyond this world, but the way that paradise visual is visualized typically varies according to the culture. In ancient Greece, paradise was a beautiful island with soft, warm breezes. In Arabia, paradise was a place where you can recline on soft couches and get served bowls of fresh fruit. In America, for many people, paradise would be endless golf courses or endless beaches. What are we to think? It can all get rather confusing. There was once a man who lived in Seattle, who in the midst of winter was departing for a vacation in Miami Beach. The man's wife was on a business trip in Minneapolis. She was planning to fly directly from Minneapolis to Miami and to meet her husband there two days later. 
the husband in Seattle went to the airport looking forward to nice weather in Florida. But unfortunately, there was a mix-up at the gate, and he was told he could not get on the plane, but would have to wait for a late red-eye flight. He appealed to the supervisor, but with no success. Finally, he arrived on the late plane and arrived the next day in Miami, where he discovered that Miami was having a heat wave, and it was as uncomfortably hot in Miami as it was cold in Seattle. After checking into his hotel, he rushed to head out to the pool. But before leaving his room, he dashed off an email to his wife, who was to arrive the next day. In his haste, however, he sent the email to the wrong address. His message arrived at the home of an elderly preacher's wife, whose even older husband had died just the day before. When the grieving widow opened her email, she took one look at the monitor, let out an anguished scream, and passed out on the floor. Her family rushed into the room where they saw this message on the screen. Dearest wife, departed yesterday, as you know. Just got checked in. Some confusion at the gate. Appeal was denied. <laughs> Receive confirmation of your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> your loving husband. P.S. Things are not as we thought. You're going to be surprised at how hot it is down here. When it comes to what people are thinking about the afterlife, there can be a lot of confusion in people's minds, and it is easy to grab onto mistaken ideas. Whenever people make assertions, therefore, about life beyond death, we have reason to step back and be skeptical. This is exactly the approach of the Bible as a whole. In the setting of the ancient Near East, there were elaborate notions about the afterlife, especially in Egypt, and ancient Israelites were quite familiar with Egyptian customs. But the people of Israel rejected those notions and took a very agnostic view when it came to questions about the afterlife, or even whether there is any life after death at all. As it is said in the book of Ecclesiastes, who knows whether the human spirit goes upward and the spirit of animals goes downward to the earth. Read through the Old Testament, and in most of it, you will find no mention of eternal life at all. Eventually, as people reflected about what they came to understand about God, that God is a God of infinite power and love, they began to consider that perhaps God in love would open the way for God's people, God's people to enter beyond death into life everlasting in fellowship with God. And thus by the New Testament period, some Jewish people had come to believe that God would raise the righteous into life after death. But this was hotly debated. The most conservative Jews in Jesus' day, who were part of the group called the Sadducees, rejected the whole notion of life after death. When you die, they believed, you just rot in the ground. 
So if you are skeptical today about the idea of eternal life, you are in good biblical company. The Bible is not given to wishful thinking, and there is plenty of hard-nosed skepticism in it. The book of Job asks, if people die, shall they live again? How can we know? On the one hand, that universal human sense of eternity, which we can observe across human cultures, does give us reason to believe that maybe there is something beyond this life. As C.S. Lewis put it, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Our inward longings point to the idea that we are intended for an eternal destiny. But from the biblical perspective, such human intuition is not enough. We need evidence, a clear demonstration of what is true. This is what God provides for all humanity through Jesus Christ. All the Gospels, all four Gospels, consistently note that something extraordinary was happening in Jesus. As people said after one of the early healings of Jesus, we have never seen anything like this. People recognized that the power of God was at work within Jesus, and therefore Jesus, unlike anyone before him, was speaking with real authority. As Jesus himself later said, I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me directs me in what to speak. Through Jesus, God was speaking a clear word to all humanity. And what was Jesus' message about eternal life? When the Sadducees insisted that eternal life makes no sense and that there is no such thing, Jesus said to them, you are quite wrong. Throughout his ministry, Jesus repeatedly affirmed that God through Jesus was opening the door wide into life everlasting. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He went on to say, I give them eternal life. And he proclaimed, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. There is no ambiguity or fuzziness in what Jesus says. At the same time, Jesus proclaimed this truth not only through his words, but through what the Gospels call deeds of power. On three separate occasions, Jesus raised people from death into life. As he raised Jairus' daughter, he raised the widow's son at Nain, he raised Lazarus, showing that he brings power over death. These cases, however, were of course resuscitations. The people raised would die again. Easter is finally the definitive event, the ultimate deed of power, as by God's power, Jesus arose out of death into life eternal. Here is the evidence, the clear demonstration 
that everlasting life is now a reality through Jesus Christ. Of course, one can question the evidence. It is always possible to raise doubts about the evidence for anything. A scientist, for example, could direct your attention to a large stretch of barren ground in Iceland where there used to be a glacier. Now the remnants of the glacier are way off in the distance, and the scientists could note that this is clear evidence of global warming. But some will nevertheless have doubts. It is natural, I suppose, to have doubts about the resurrection because the evidence is not directly before us at the moment. But we know how to find the truth about an event that we ourselves did not directly see. We gather witnesses, people who experienced the event, and we hear and compare their testimony. There were a great many witnesses to the resurrection. Their testimony includes various details, as authentic testimony will, and at the same time, their testimony all agrees as to what essentially happened. Even the opponents of Jesus, the opponents of his disciples, agreed that the tomb was found empty. More than 500 people reported seeing resurrection appearances of Jesus, and those appearances all have striking similarities. The witnesses to the resurrection repeatedly affirmed what the apostle Peter would proclaim on the day of Pentecost when he said, Fellow Israelites, listen. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law, but God raised him up. And of this, all of us are witnesses. But then not only does the resurrection establish the reality of life everlasting, it also speaks to the nature of life everlasting and brings us a clear message in sharp contrast to all the competing fanciful claims that people will often make about the afterlife. People often wonder, if there is eternal life, what will it be like? It is quite notable that while Jesus emphatically and repeatedly affirmed the promise of life eternal, he gave very few details about it. Now that makes sense because for us to try to understand eternity is rather like a water nymph trying to understand what life is like for a dragonfly. The realm of eternity is simply beyond our present comprehension. And thus the letter of John rightly says, we do not know what we will be. At the same time, the resurrection of Jesus does communicate some basic truths about the life into which God calls us in eternity. The first letter of John also says that we will be like him. And so as we look to the risen Jesus, we can perceive some basic contours of life beyond the grave. The first thing we see is that the risen Jesus is still Jesus. And that says that we will retain our individual identity. We also see that Jesus is resurrected in body. 
That does not necessarily mean that God will raise our literal bones, but it says to us that in eternity, we will not simply be disembodied minds floating around in the universe, but that we will have some sort of bodily form. At the same time, there's something very different and spiritual about that resurrected body of Jesus. Jesus appeared and disappeared mysteriously in his resurrection appearances, and he was not always recognized at first glance. The Apostle Paul thus spoke in that passage that we heard from 1 Corinthians about how we will have a spiritual body. As he said, it is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. To help us grasp that idea, Paul used the image of sowing a seed. With planting, Paul said in the same chapter, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives us a body as God has chosen. Right now, here in Northeast Ohio, it is the time for planting. People are planting seeds or watching things spring up from the ground that were planted earlier. The plant that emerges from the soil has continuity with the seed. It is the same entity, but the plant is quite different and there is much more to it. So the promise of resurrection is that God will raise us into a new and far more glorious form. Another key aspect of the resurrection of Jesus is that he maintains relationships you can see that in his resurrection encounters with his followers. And so we can rightfully look forward to being reunited with loved ones in the realm of eternity. Finally, it is clear in the resurrection that Jesus has a destination. He's not just hanging around to haunt people, nor is he just going off to some uh, paradise island for endless rounds of golf. In his final instructions to his disciples, before his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus said, I am going to the Father. And immediately after the resurrection, he said to Mary Magdalene in the garden, I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Above all, to be in heaven is to be in fellowship with God. It is precisely here that the biblical picture of heaven most directly challenges contemporary notions. People commonly like to think that heaven will be a place where you get to play with all your favorite toys. And so people imagine that their loved one who has died is now up in heaven doing whatever the loved one enjoyed doing here on earth. Now that may be a natural and helpful way to deal with grief. But the corollary of that thinking is the notion that you will find heaven on earth whenever you get to play with all your favorite toys. And thus people try to find heaven on earth by buying all sorts of things, pursuing all sorts of activities that they think will bring them happiness. But the story of Jesus says that you will find heaven when you enter fellowship with God. For God is the source of all real fulfillment and joy. 
This means that if we want to find something of heaven on earth, we need to come into connection with God. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying in his image of the vine and the branches. The branch finds life when it is joined to the vine. Along this line, in his teaching about eternal life, Jesus made the point that eternal life is not something that we may only enter at the point of death. It is something we can begin to enter now as we join in the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes has eternal life. Not will have, but has eternal life. That one has passed from death into life. Likewise, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Here, finally, I believe we can understand why the Bible, Bible gives us a clear promise of eternal life, but does not give us much in terms of the details. It's because we're not meant to, spoke, to focus on all the details of life beyond the grave. We're meant to focus on life now, on trusting in God now, serving God now in the world. As for what will be in the future, we are to leave the details in God's hands. But one thing we do know, as John said, we will see him as he is. When we are journeying in faith, we know that when we come to the end of this earthly journey, we will be in fellowship with the Lord and with all God's people, sharing in God's love forever. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give thanks for the wondrous news that you have come into this world, that through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have joined with us, connecting with us in all of our brokenness and pain, in all of our uncertainty, our doubts, in all of our fears, all of our sin. Lord Jesus, you took all of that on yourself on the cross. You gave your life for us in order that we might be forgiven and might be lifted out of sin and death into fellowship with God. In the resurrection, we see now that the way is open for us to be indeed raised up into life now and life everlasting. Inspire us, O Lord, that we might respond to you today in faith, putting our trust in you, receiving the gift of what your spirit will do within us, leading us to know your peace, your guidance, your strength, guiding us to journey in your ways, inspiring us and giving us that sure hope of life everlasting. Move us, O Lord, to join ourselves with you today in faith, like branches to the vine, so that we might indeed flourish as your people, so that we might know the life that comes from you, that we might bear fruit in this world, sharing your goodness with others, and Lord, that we might have that sure hope that with you we are raised forever into the love and light of God. We give thanks that you are at work among us today, drawing us into the life of this church, and we Pray for persons in times of particular need. We remember those who are sick and pray especially today for Greg Curtin, Juanima Flasher, and Lee Hall. 
We pray for those who are mourning. And on this day, we think of those who are remembering loved ones who have gone before. Lord, give us that assurance that your children live forever with you, that we have a place in your everlasting home. We thank you, Lord, for how we can share now in that kind of fellowship with one another. We thank you for the connection of the church, and we pray for our fellow night mothers this morning at the Northampton night mothers church. In this time, O oh Lord, when our denomination is dealing with a good deal of strife and division, give us the vision of your call to us, the call to reach out with your good news and your love to all people, to be persons who might carry forth your goodness to the world. We thank you, Lord, for how we can indeed be in mission in many ways, and pray that you would empower us as your church as we seek to be a part of your purposes in our own time. Lead us as this morning we would respond in faith and in commitment as, Lord, we lift our hearts to you and we live today in real hope and in praise. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.